Exodus 20, verse 4. I want you to read three passages of Scripture with me as we start this morning. Exodus 20, verse 4. The Lord gives this instruction and commandment. And he says in verse 7, well, verse 4, he said, You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And you shall not bow down yourself to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Second Timothy chapter 2. If you'll follow with me there, the instruction from Exodus is very clear. You've probably heard this if you grew up in the church as a child, even the Ten Commandments make no graven image. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, you find one of the great perils of the end times church. And he says, for know also, this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous. Boasters, proud. This is the, this is what's going to inundate the church, not the world. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And it's basically summed up in this, having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. <clears throat> and so in verse five, you find that there is the form of godliness or the image of godliness. And we are told in Exodus that we are not to make any graven image of the Lord or things in heaven and to have that as an image in our life. But yet in the last day's church, it just appears to be that there's going to be a lot of image worship. People are very concerned about how they are perceived or how they're viewed. How you see me, what you think of me. I'm worried about my image. And so even in that, we have an image of what we think Christ should look like. What Jesus should look like. And we judge people on that basis of what I think Jesus should look like and behave like and act like. And so we're creating images in our church of this. And so it is very dangerous. And here's in Galatians, if you will, chapter 4. Paul kind of tells us what his burden of ministry is, and especially in this church where they are falling away from Jesus. But he says in Galatians 4, 19, his task is this, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. And so the Apostle Paul was certainly not interested in how many people came to church. He was not interested in the religion of Christianity. He was not interested that people were striving to live a, quote, Christian life. Paul's concern was that Jesus actually lived in them. And Paul labored so that Jesus was formed in them. And not that they had this progressive look of godliness, but that God actually resided within their life. Because that really is the answer for everything. Now, when you talk about an image of that sort, or you talk about, Something that's in the likeness of something, I would probably say that most every one of you dealt with that in some way today. You probably looked in the mirror. And when you looked in the mirror, you saw your image. That's not you. It is the image of you. 
And being the image of you, you have to understand that it possesses no power. It possesses no ability at all. It is just simply the image. It is not the reality. It is not the truth. And so it is there and it just reflects really what you look like. Not necessarily what you are, but what you look like. And that is the problem in the church today. We reflect a lot of what we want people to see, but it's not really what we are. And as well, an image does not have power. It doesn't have the ability to do anything. And if in the last day's church, all we have is the form of godliness, but denying the power of God, then the church is going to be very anemic, very weak, and unable to accomplish things that God would have it to accomplish. Every time we take a new convert and make them look like us, we are image worshipers. And it is very wrong for us to do that. Many ministries today are patterned off of great men and women of the past. For example, a lot of street preachers today receive their motivation and inspiration from John and Charles Wesley, who were street preachers in London and actually turned Europe upside down with the gospel of Jesus Many believe saved Europe from a very bloody revolution that would have occurred had they not been out there preaching. And so a lot of people have received their motivation because the Wesleys did this. And if the Wesleys did this and saw such change in Europe, then we should do this. But the Wesleys did it because of Christ in them leading them to do that. They had power when they did it. And so we have to come back to this power and this authority of God And so if we're just looking at images, the image has no power. And it's not that we make men look like Christ. What good is that if they're not able to live that life of Christ? Jesus has to be within. He has to be the life and the source of life. And it's not simply his image that he is after, but he himself living in the person. Defeat, lack, falling short is there because so much... Of what we are doing today is in an effort to look like Christ. And the churches are trying to make men look like Christ. But all this will end up in is failure. The form of godliness without the power of God can only produce what you just read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Selfishness, boastfulness, pride, gossip, slander, fighting, inordinate affections, and the like. Idolatry and all of those things. That's the only thing it will produce. And for the most part, churches in America and Europe are full of this. Full of debate and fighting. People in churches don't even get along with each other. They have no fellowship with each other. Out of a sense of duty, they do things. But we have offenses and we're hurt. And we've got wounds and we're bitter. And I don't like those people. And those people don't like me. What is all of that? There's an image of godliness, but there's no reality of God in your life. And so it is God in the life that makes all of the difference. Only Jesus has power. Therefore, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Because if Christ is in you, then you have power. If it is not Christ that is in you, then there are no tithes. There is no Holy Ghost prayer. There is no going to a prayer meeting. There are no powerful conversions. There is no holiness, no joy. I mean, you just look at most Christians today. And you look at their life where there's no power. How many people are going with them to church? How many converts have they made over the last year? Think about it. I mean, if Jesus actually lived in you, 
Would he not have impacted somebody's life this year? Would he not have intrigued somebody to follow God this year? Where are they? You know, and so this is very important for us. We don't like to think about that. We don't like to hear that. And we certainly don't like preachers telling us that, you know, because sometimes the truth really hurts. But I would rather say that to us than for us to live our life with the form of godliness, but not really having the power of godliness and, and, and be confronted with meeting God one day with, when there's just no substance there, when there can be so much that is there. But if Jesus is indwelling the life, then he does everything through that life and everything comes through them. Most people have a powerless Christianity today. Most people's Jesus can have a social drink and a cocktail. Your Jesus can go to church once a week. And no wonder Christianity is failing. But when Christ lives in me, that is why we do what we do. Christ indwelling me. Working in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure, not mine. And therefore it is Christ in me that compels me to joy and to freedom and a powerful life. We want people to tithe. We want people to go to church. We want people to pray. We want people to read their Bibles. So we preach very hard that they do. And we put them under some type of guilt if they don't. But really the answer is put Jesus into that human and they will tithe. Because Jesus tithes and Jesus prays and Jesus loves and Jesus forgives. And the reason people are not doing this is because they have created the form of godliness, but they lack God in the life. But put God in the life and all of that is corrected and all of that is done. Hallelujah. And I say this to you, that churches and, and moves of God do not fail and end because of God's inability to sustain it. It ends because of men touching it, rather than God just living in it, and God is building his church. And y'all, something radical happened on the day of Pentecost. It, it, it was a radical change that was never to, to, to diminish in the earth, but Intellectual minds and the forms of religion get all around that thing of Pentecost and we put our hands all over it and our fingerprints are all over it, you know. And so, but really in Pentecost, it was everything. It changed everything. The life of God was literally put into man. Man became the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that union, that church was the most mightiest thing in the earth because the most mightiest person lived in it and there was nothing he was unable to do when the holy ghost came down to these men he lifted these men up heavenward their whole life was heaven they counted not their lives dear they weren't building their careers and their futures on earth because they were called and compelled to a heavenly country and the Lord sustained them as they moved through it. In the infancy of the birth of the new church, a handful of people, not with words, but with witness, went out into the world and literally turned it upside down. And I believe the same Holy Ghost is able to do this again. Prison doors were opened before them. World rulers were puzzled in their presence and wondered how these people knew so much. 
And it wasn't their intellect that they were impressed with. It was this, that they had to take note that they had been with Jesus, that Jesus was there. And so life is power. The Christian religion is not a set of doctrines about Christ. It is not a rule of life based upon the teachings of Christianity. But the Christian life is life, period. It is the life of Christ in the man. And if the life of Christ is really in the man, he is a new creation. And anything less than that, anything than a less... If if you're sitting here today and you have bitterness in you, you have unforgiveness in you, you have lust in you, there's something going on in your life that is contrary to God. And there's not somebody inside of you telling you, I will not put up with this. I demand freedom from this. Then I would seriously warn you to check your salvation. You can have the creed. You can have all of the principles. You can, you can have all of the right confessions. But if you don't have the Christ in you then there's no life. We must be born again. And so this whole gift of Christianity is the gift of life. And life is personality. Paul said that it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Christ in you. And would to God that we would take this thought before God until we actually believed it. That Christ lives in me. And the Spirit of God is the gift of personality. This personality is the supreme power. It is who Jesus is and not what he did that was so strikingly powerful in the earth. It wasn't the fact that religious rulers were so threatened by people who went around and did good. They weren't threatened by that. They weren't threatened by humanitarian efforts to care for the poor. They did it themselves. It wasn't what Jesus did that was so threatening to them. It was what he was. It wasn't even so much what he would even profess to be that he was the Messiah. Many people had come professing themselves to be the Messiah. And if any of these men could lick Rome and beat them back into submission and Israel would rule, then all of these guys would have followed those fake messiahs. But he really was the Messiah. He really was the son of God. And that's what offended them. And so everything that he did was the confirmation that he really was who he said that he was. And this was the controversy. Darkness could not handle that. And so it's the world doesn't care about what we say. It doesn't care about what we practice. It doesn't care about the good that we do. It doesn't care about that. It only cares about this one thing. Are you legitimate? Are you really his? Are you really born of God? Does God really live in you? And then the kingdoms of darkness cannot deal with that. They can't deal with that in your life. And so it's life. It's it's not intellect and things of this nature. Personality is the supreme power. I've thought of this often, you know, and... You're trying to understand, let's just say, you know, you, you live in the city or you, you grew up, I don't know, Los Angeles, something like that, where it's just, you know, take hours to get out of the city and get to somewhere. And, you know, you're trying to understand what's it like to, to be in, in the hills of Mississippi, out in the country where nothing is, you know, and you're just running. What's that like? And you got these professors who have studied it and they study what life is like in the country and they study about pine trees and honeysuckles and streams and rivers and creeks 
squeaks and hollers and all of these things, you know. And they're able to tell you about it and describe it. And then all of a sudden, this little old 12-year-old country boy from Mississippi walks out there and says, Let me tell you what a honeysuckle smells like. Let me tell you the sticky gum of a, of a pine tree. And let me tell you what it's like to fish in the little creeks and rivers in Mississippi. And, and man, you're, you're almost tasting it. And you've got all these professors that want to describe God to us. And they want to describe heaven to us. And they want to describe life to us. But they've never been there. They've never touched it. They've never seen it. And the one that's come from heaven doesn't even live in them. And then you let some little seven or eight year old that's actually been born of God and they've tasted heaven and they've been touched by God and God says let me tell you what heaven's like and all you can almost taste it when they talk about God because he's in them and it's real and it's powerful and you just cannot withstand that and the only means by which the Holy Spirit partners with anything is Christ he will come upon nothing but Jesus he will not come upon corruption or anything else The Holy Spirit looks for Jesus and comes on Jesus and rests upon Jesus. In the Old Testament, when Noah got off at the end of the ark and he let the raven go, and the raven didn't come back, probably fed on the dead, but he let the dove go and it came back. We didn't find the dove resting until the Son of God was in the Jordan River. And the dove came and rested upon him. That Holy Ghost dove is always looking for Jesus. And when he finds Jesus, he will rest upon Jesus. Just like this song we were singing this morning about the Holy Spirit hover over us and come. He's looking for Jesus. And if he can find Jesus, he'll see a lot of forms of godliness. He'll see a lot of people at church standing in a pew without any animation, without any excitement. But when he sees Jesus, I guarantee you there'll be a visitation. There'll be a visitation and God the Holy Ghost will come and he will rest upon that. The church... Is not the church because we say it's the church. The church is the church because it is the body of Christ. It is the fullness of his life. And it is he is to be formed in us. In Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to read this with me. He tells us this and so, so beautifully. And I want to talk to you for a moment about Christian maturity. And I want you to see this. He tells us in Ephesians chapter 4. And this is one of the things we're doing tonight in the ordination service. That when Jesus ascended. He gave gifts to men. Verse 11, he says what those gifts are. This is the evidence of the ascension of Jesus Christ. That's why I think it is almost a slap in the face of God if we don't come to honor what Jesus' death and ascension have given to us. The, 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 the ministry of, of these offices within the church. And what are they there for? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is this? Well, it goes back to the very thing when Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 4, I labor in travail of birth for you again till Christ be formed in you. But it's not simply the seed of Christ that I'm content with. It's not just the the spark of life that's in you. It's not just so much that you have received of the Spirit of God and you really are born again and you're going to heaven. But the desire and the demand of the Holy Ghost is, I want to so affect your life so that Jesus Christ has filled you up. 
that he's not a seed, he's not a, he's not immature in your life, but the whole of Christ has matured in you. And you've grown up in him and your faith is solid and your faith is strong and you're mature in the Lord. You're perfect in the Lord, if you will. And love is the maturity of the saint. And that is the fruit of the spirit, which is love. And so I just want you to understand it because this is what God is after, the maturity of the believer. He's after your maturity. And so... By the fact that he lives in you, he's not content to let you live immature. No long, no, no more than you're content for your children to live immature lives. I mean, think about it. If your children did not progress any further than your Christianity has progressed, you'd probably be very disappointed in them. So what do you do as a parent? You, you encourage them. You lay before them responsibilities and opportunities. You send them to school. And they're in the third grade. And you want them to do good in the third grade. You don't expect them to do the work of a sixth grader. But in three years you do. You expect them to mature in three years. So they're no longer in the third grade. But they're in the sixth grade. And then you want them in the seventh grade. You want them in the tenth grade. You want them to graduate from high school. And you want them to develop the mind for a good career in life. And you drive them to this. And you encourage them to this. And you let them know that you're serious. Of, Is there not a father in heaven? Who's trying to do that with us? Who's trying to deal with our life? And praise God, if he is our father, then he does it. He really, And he knows how to do it. And he works in our life for that. And so I want you to see that maturing is not becoming more intellectual. Maturing is not that you used to pray for an hour and now you pray for an hour and 15 minutes. Maturing is not that you go to church more. Maturing is not that you read your Bibles more. Now that you now you have a strong concordance that you read with your Bible and you're looking up words and you can show people I've got notebooks of Bible studies that I've done. Look at all of it. That's not maturity. It's just not it. We think it is, you know. Man, that is a man of God. That is a woman of God. They have been in the church for 35, 40 years. And they're an elder in the church. That is a man of God. Not necessarily. They could have just fooled everybody on their way up. But nothing fools God. And so the maturity that God is after is the fullness of Christ. It is the fullness of his life that really affects you. And your education may not be great and you may not have the mental capacities to be able to learn Greek and Hebrew and and so forth and all of those types of things. But that's not what God is after. God is after the full growth of Jesus Christ in your life. Those that are characterized by a life of love, a life of revelation. The Holy Spirit is able to reveal things. God, your father, is able to talk to you on a mature level. God, your father, is able to discuss things with you. My my children have grown now, and they're young men, and my daughter's a young lady, and, and I'm able to talk to them on a mature level. They don't know the Bible like I do, but I'm able to talk to them and communicate with them about God and the things of Christ on, a, on the grounds of revelation. And I'm able to deal with them now as companions in my life and not just a father who's raising kids. Because that part of my life is over. I'm not a father raising kids anymore. 
But now I'm a father that is able to enjoy the friendship and the companionship of my children. Why? Because in the world, worldly speaking, they've reached maturity. They are able to communicate with me on a mature level. God wants us to have that with him. And that's maturity. And that's what it is. And God's not so impressed when we're able to learn the 23rd Psalm. And now we've learned the 24th Psalm too. Like it's so adorable, you know, when a little child's done that. And it really is because that's adorable when a little child does that. But for, you know, a 60-year-old man come and say, hey, I learned the 24th Psalm as well. You want me to recite it to you? I think that's a little bit weird. Tell me what it means. Tell me how God's in it. Tell me the revelation of Christ that's come to you because that's where you should be in this, you know. And so that just really moves me about this. And so this this thing that's going on in our life is maturing. But I want you to understand something too. The greatest damage ever done to a church is immaturity. It's immaturity. The Apostle Paul dealt with this in his epistles in Hebrews chapter 5. He said to the people, when you should be grown by now, you have need that people continue to teach you. You haven't exercised your senses to know good and evil. And beloved, it's just simply the fact of Christ living in us. I mean, a baby's born in the world, right? That baby's going to grow. They're going to grow from baby shoes to toddler shoes to Kids' shoes, teenage shoes, and adult shoes. It's just going to happen. That life is going to grow. And Jesus comes in you. That life of his is going to grow. And so personalities are the cause of problems in churches, not knowledge. Not knowledge. There's a lot of people that know knowledge and a lot of people that believe different things, but they don't have much personality. But a person that has personality can either benefit the church greatly or wound the church greatly. It is on the basis of personality. And so understand as well that there is an other that lives in everybody. I mean, there's the spirit of this world and the spirit of God. One of those things is contending to manifest itself through us. And we would desire for it to be the spirit of God. So it's not doctrines that build or destroy churches. It's personality. People that wound churches don't have to be intellectual people. They just have to be people with strong personalities in their life. And and don't think that a personality that's strong is one that's loud. It's not necessarily. So I say this to you about the Holy Spirit. In the church, he finds a temple. An agent by which he is able to live in and work through. In the Holy Spirit, the church finds all of its supply of life, grace, wisdom, and power. The church's power is the Spirit, and the Spirit's vehicle is the church. The church must partner with the Holy Spirit. Apart from the church, the Holy Spirit is still the Holy Spirit. But apart from the Holy Spirit, the church is no longer the church. The Holy Spirit is undiminished and unchanged. Apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no life in us and no ability in us. Agreement with the Holy Spirit is power. Service becomes mighty in his fellowship. Personality is quickened. All that is dormant becomes alive. Sympathy is deepened. Weakness becomes strength. Poverty becomes wealth. 
The lowly become mighty. The feeble become invincible. The depressed become joyful. The ordinary become extraordinary. Why? Because of the personality of the Holy Spirit. And aren't you glad it's that way? I mean, aren't you glad that it's not this rigorous set of rules and commands and structures and education and and seminaries and, and masters and doctorates before you can have a real relationship with God? Isn't it wonderful that it's just, it's personal and it's just right there for any of us and for all of us? I just think it is so absolutely beautiful. The Holy Spirit is so amazing and so wonderful that he has come to manifest the very life of Jesus in us. And he is the only power and he is the only force in this world. And there's nothing in this world, this universe that is able to stop him. And he lives in us and he wants to put the life of Jesus in us. And I say this, that every person is responsible to receive their own baptism in the spirit. Every person, this cannot be passed to you through natural birth. It cannot be passed to you because you join a church. It can't be passed to you because your mom and your daddy and your grandparents were Pentecostal. It can't be passed to you those ways. It's not passed to you because you read the Bible. It's not passed to you because you think that the Bible is true. It is passed to you when you believe and you ask and you surrender and you actually receive the life of Jesus Christ in you, knowing fully well that when he comes, he's going to bring a radical change into my life and he's going to deal with me and he's never going to be content with me until I am in the full stature of Jesus Christ. And he's going to grow me up to be a son that is profitable in his house, a son that is able to communicate with him on an adult and mature level, which is only by the Holy Spirit. And this is what he wants to do in our life. And and I say that this this beautiful relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, this life of Jesus in us, it is a desperate hour in which we live to have this life. For there are many voices and much confusion in this world, much intimidation, growing fear, but in him there's no fear, and in him there's no intimidation, and in him there's no confusion, and he speaks the same thing. And I say this to you as I close today, because a form of godliness, all it can produce is a church full of hate, people who are abusive, people who cannot forgive. People who cannot be in relationship with other people. People who isolate themselves. They, they're, they're visitors. They're not members. They're, they're this. They, they can't help. They don't pray. They share no burden. They share no concern. Angie comes in. She's got possible bone cancer. She's got pain in her rib cage. Who cares? Who cares? Who's going to intercede? And and I promise you might care right now because I just said that. But how many of you will forget her by Tuesday? I can tell you who won't. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit won't forget her. And there are other needs in here. There are other needs in people's lives. There are people coming in here at 1030. And I would hate for this church, you know, to just have, well, I go to the nine o'clock church and I don't know anybody else. That would be tragedy. To not know the church and not know the fellowship of the people. And I want to be at prayer meetings and I want to be at fellowship meetings. And I want why? Because Jesus is in me and that's where he wants to be. I know there are people that come and try to manipulate it and say, you should do this and you should do that. And there are good things you should do. 
But just put Jesus in the man. And you won't have to tell him to do these things. There's a life in him that longs for it. Just yearns for it. That, that's, that's it for everything. And this life that of the spirit, he's going to think the same thing in Michelle that he thinks in me. He's going to think the same thing in Joe up in Arkansas that he thinks in me. He's not going to think two different things. So the government comes and makes an imposition upon us this year. And I called Joe and I said, what's the Holy Spirit showing you? And he says, this is what he's showing, showing me the exact same thing. And he's showing 60 other preachers the exact same thing. Why? Because he thinks the same thing. But in the church, oh, he might show 10 people this, they say, and then others say, well, the Lord showed me this and it's something totally different. And another group is something totally different. And there's all this confusion. Why? He's not schizophrenic. You know, he's not thinking different things in different people. He thinks the same thing. He's got one mind and that's the mind he gives us. And that's why it is so important. We live by this life and we're accountable to one another in this life and not for me to just go around like I could become a a real nut. Right. And just think, well, the Holy Spirit lives in me and this is what he spoke to me and this is what he told me. And so this is what I'm and I I could become a, a cult leader by that. So everything is checked by the word of God because he will never say anything. that's not in here. Never. And so I just say that we have to be very careful that we live and admonish one another. But if Christ isn't in the person, what are you admonishing the flesh to look like God? Good luck with that. You're just going to have an abusive person in your life. that's going to be a nightmare to live with. But put Christ in the life and they're going to grow to love. And it's going to be beautiful. And that's the church God wants us to have. And it's beautiful and powerful and necessary. So, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for this life of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that you have promised us the gift of your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, I thank you that you have made us aware that in the last days there's going to be a lot of image worship. There's going to be a lot of people declaring this is what Jesus looks like. But Lord, the Holy Spirit alone knows what Jesus looks like. And the Holy Spirit alone is able to make us look like Jesus because you live in us to do it. Help us to realize this morning that every one of us is responsible for our own baptism in the spirit. Every one of us as individuals are responsible to receive the Holy Spirit for ourselves. And Lord, I pray that we would open our hearts and our lives to you. And really all you're looking for is Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you will rest on him. You will abide in him. And let us be filled with Jesus, filled with the life of Jesus. And let us ask you to come and visit us and come upon us and manifest yourself to us. Hover over us. Live upon us, God. And do us with power, Lord. Let us walk in the mind of Christ, Lord. Let us live a life that is within us. Not, not a life we're trying to get one day, but a life that is within us. And I thank you so much, Lord, that this is all about life. And this life is powerful and it is Christ. And I just ask you in the next few moments as Carla ministers, would you just pray to receive the Holy Spirit for yourself? Would you look at yourself? Maybe open up 2 Timothy 3 and just sit there for just a couple of minutes and pray. What is my life like? Is it filled with um, anger, gossip, selfishness? I love pleasure more than I love God. I mean, think about that. What do you spend most of your time doing? 
Do you spend more time seeking pleasurable things than you do seeking God? Doing the things of God, the kingdom of God? I mean, it's a, it's a good question to ask yourself. Especially if it's a question that may save your life. So ask yourself those things. Lay it before the Lord. And then ask God and tell him, I don't want a form of godliness. I want the power of God to live in me. So I surrender myself to you. And you must know when you do that, that you are repenting. You are turning to God. And you are giving him the rights. He's going to buy you and he's going to own you. And he has the rights now. He will make you holy. And he will conform you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Because he loves you and and you're going to love what he does. You're going to love it. It might be painful, but you're going to love it. So take this time to sit before God right now.